The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to turn to God's Word now. If you have your Bible, we're going to turn uh, to the book of Matthew. We have been preaching through the book of Matthew, and we are now at chapter 14. And um, what we're going to do, what we've gotten in in the habit of doing is that rather than reading the whole passage up front, we're going to look at it section by section as we work through it. Um, but last week, if you, you might remember this, last week we looked at, like, what, seven or eight parables? And uh, this week we are looking at three major events in Jesus' life, right, where John the Baptist gets killed, Jesus um, walks on water, and he feeds 5,000 people with uh, a sandwich bag, right? So we're going to pray and ask for God to help us as we look at God's Word together. Father, um, we love your word and we're grateful for what you're doing in our lives, in our hearts, in our church, in our city. And things get tiring, Father. And so we ask that as we look at Jesus' mission and how he engaged the stress of life, we pray that you would help us to trust in him, to go to him, to keep going. So it's in his name we pray. Amen. This morning is actually the perfect sermon illustration for opening things up, because I was going to say, man, hasn't it been a really long winter? <laughs> and, yeah, and then here we go, by God's providence, uh, scraping ice off the front of our cars to start things out. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. It, we just, like this, this, this last week when it got up to like 60 degrees, I think our boys like, like burst out the front door like, it's warm, it's warm, we can be outside. And they're like running around in the grass and like rubbing their hair in it. And, you know, it's just the, the sense of the winters here. Just You get to the end of it and you're just kind of like, how do you keep on going, you know? And it's one thing after the next. And the, in some ways, that's the way uh, the problems in our, of our lives feel like, right? We get over one problem. And then it's just another one comes right down the road or right around the corner. It's like, I just got through this. (laughs) I've got another one. Or if you're a part of the life of the church, there's always things going on with people. And it's not bad, right? It's not like bad to have problems or needs or anything like that. But the question can often be, how do we keep going, right? And what we got going on in Jesus' life right here in uh, in this part of the book of Matthew his life has been tracking along where he's getting a lot of attention, he's having a lot of people come to him, and he's, uh, his ministry or his preaching um, and care for people is just beginning to, people are like magnets drawn to Jesus. And so he has a lot of stressors going on in his life. He's, and not only is it just people you know, and needs and all that stuff, but there's political stress going on as well. And Jesus sets us an example, not only of a how to respond, but he himself draws us into the heart of what is, how do we keep going amidst all these problems, right? Where do we go for guidance? How do we get the energy? How do we get the perspective to keep moving forward in our needs and problems that aren't going to go away? And frankly, the passage doesn't mean that they are going to go away. Like Jesus doesn't want problems to go away and people are not our problems, right? It, just so you know, when we look at the church and there's problems or needs going on, the people aren't the problem. It's often how we respond to those problems and needs that is actually the problem. So it's really us. And so Jesus is going to be drawing us into that we continue, disciples continue to go, continue on by going to Jesus. Right? Last week we looked at a lot of uncertainties and how we walked through uncertainties with certainties. And amidst all the uncertainties of the needs around us, the pattern that what Jesus lays out for us here is that we move on, we continue on 
by going to Jesus. That's the real simple point of this whole sermon. <laughs> Do you want to know what's the main point of what we're trying to get across? Disciples continue on by going to Jesus is what we're looking at. And so we're going to, how we keep doing that, or how we do that functionally, we're going to start looking through this passage. And the first thing that we're going to look at is the thing that we don't do. <laughs> right? We start out with a negative example. We don't go to false kings. So we're going to start reading in verse 1 of chapter 14. We're going to read through verse 12. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. So now we're going to get some backstory on why Herod felt that way. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, so he's talking about John the Baptist, Herod wanted to put John the Baptist to death, he feared the people, because they held him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. I mean, if you're getting a little grossed out, that's the point. And the king was sorry. Because, but because of his oath and his guest, he commanded it be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought to her on a platter and given to the girl. So she brought, brought it to her mother. And his disciples, that's John the Baptist, came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. What a gross passage, right? I mean, it is, it is gross on so many levels. So just a little bit of some background on what's going on here, right? So Herod would have been effect, effectively kind of like uh, the puppet king of the Roman powers at the time. So Rome was the occupying force in Israel, and they would have appointed a king to kind of be their you know, puppet king to do whatever they told him to do. And Herod liked it, right? He, he was kind of half Jewish. He had, a half, he had a father who was uh, Jewish and a mother who was a Samaritan. So you're talking about like a, a Patriots fan having a... Um, an Eagles father fan, right? <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to get under somebody's skin here, but nobody's nobody's responding. <laughs> so you got ba- you got some baggage going on with Herod, right? And his um, his his wife, he divorced his first wife, which was okay under Jewish law at the time, right? He could have divorced her for any time, any reason. Just said, you know, I. Uh, uh, I'm not pleased with what's going on in our marriage anymore, and he could have divorced her. But then he did it so that he could get married to his sister-in-law, right? So that's like creep factor number one, right? <laughs> right? So it's like, so, and the problem with that was also that, first of all, he had an illegitimate divorce from his first wife. And then under Jewish customs at the time, women weren't allowed to file for divorce. And so she had to use the Roman powers of filing for divorce to be able to separate that marriage and then get married to him. So then if you're in a, a religious context like that at the time where you've got the occupying powers of the Romans who are the enemy, enemy number one of the Jews, you could see how this is like a political, just like, this is a disaster zone, right? And so then we've got a birthday party going on for Herod, right? Nothing wrong with birthday parties. I, I like birthday parties. We should have them more often. But he has a birthday party and he throws a birthday party, and then his daughter and stepdaughter, right, stepdaughter-in-law, I guess, 
does a dance in front of the whole company, and he's like all jazzed about it, and he's like, I'll give you whatever I want. So that's creep factor number two. I mean, it's just like, it's just the creep factor on the daughter dancing and him being like, this is awesome. I'm just like, God, just this makes me feel weird, you know? And so, so then she asks, okay, uh, this guy's been hassling my mom big time, and I want him gone. So he has John the Baptist beheaded. And what we have going on in Herod, not so much that people are going to him to be their king in a good, like, uh, in a good way, but the negative example that we start out with is what's going on in Herod's heart. Because just like Herod, when we experience the stress of life, we go towards the things that rule us. There are things that rule us. Just So Herod, right, he is controlled by fear, right? Did you notice, right, verse 3, right? Herod seized John and bound him and put him in prison. Because John had been saying, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people. Right? John Baptist, or John, I'm sorry, Herodias, Herod, all these names get kind of jumbled. King Herod was ruled by his fear of the people. Right? You, you actually see that later in verse 9. After he's made this pro- proclamation, verse 9, like, I'll give you whatever you want. The king was sorry because of his oaths. But what's the reason? And his guests commanded it to be given. Right? He was ruled not only of the people that he feared would uprise against him if he killed John the Baptist, but then he's got all his besties here at his party, and he's afraid of what happens to his own reputation if he doesn't fulfill what he's promised. Right? Then you have, you obviously have the creep factor on both his, his wife and his daughter. So he's being ruled by some sort of sexual thing going on. It's just, he's being ruled by that. And uh, he's proud, right? He's being ruled by, he doesn't want to be confronted. He doesn't want somebody calling him out on like, hey, you shouldn't be doing this, right? He's being ruled by all these things that are just tearing him up. And he is this example of what happens in our own hearts when we hit the stress of life because... Just like Herod, we're going to hit family pressures, we're going to hit cultural pressures, we're going to hit relationship stressors, right? And he went in a way to take control of everything around him in his own terms, right? Tim Keller is one of these guys that we kind of like, might as well call him like Saint Keller because we quote him all the time. Tim Keller has this this quote from uh, his book on counterfeit gods, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. Right? He is he's laying out for this reality that we, we want to say that we're in control of our lives and we make our own decisions and that we're in control of our destiny. But the reality is that often, and this is for, for Christians and non-Christians, our response to the stress around us reveals what controls us. We want... We want to be in control. When things are going chaotic, we have to bring it, in, bring it into control in our own terms. Tim Keller goes on to say, an idol is something we cannot live without. We must have it. Therefore, it drives us to break rules we once honored to harm others, even ourselves, in order to get it. He says what's going on in Herod's life. He's controlled by these desires to have everything on his own terms in his own way for his own sake. Right? We do that with the stress in our lives. Stress comes, often reveals the underlying motives of our heart. Think about, what do you do? What do you do 
when things at the end of a stressful week or the end of a stressful day, a job or your family or your marriage or just the dynamics of what's going on, what's your response? Do you shut down? It's like, well, it could be that you're being controlled by a sense of, I want to be liked on my terms and when I'm not liked on my terms, everybody's out. It could be when you get in a stressful situation at work and you freak out and yell at people, <laughs> it's because you, you're controlled by the sense of it has to be my way or the highway. It's uh, friends. Friends are not, if we, we don't get friends in our terms, like if friends aren't fulfilling filling our love cup, so to speak, right? If they're not filling us in a way that we like, how do we respond by depression or anger or sadness? Right? There's something there that's controlling us, that's become an idol for us, a false king, rather than being ruled by Jesus. Think about this question. This has been a helpful question for me to kind of get at what, what am I being ruled by. If I only had fill in the blank, then I'd be happy. If I only had fill in the blank, then I'd be at peace. Right? Because Herod, he's saying if I only had the perfect wife, right, the perfect uh, friends, the perfect situations on my own terms, then I'll be happy. Because when we, how do we move on, right? We're asking this question with all these stresses, all the needs, right? It's not the problem and needs aren't the problem. It's how we respond to those things. And the question we need to ask our own hearts is, if I only had blank, then I'd be happy. That becomes a functional king for us. We want that more than anything else. And the point of this passage where it leads to is it calls us to repent of those things. Repent. I don't want the false kings because those false kings are going to destroy me, just like John the Baptist gets destroyed by Herod, right? But it leads us into enjoying the invitation of the good king. So we're going to take a look here. We're going to continue on in our passage. Pick up in verse 13. So we don't go to false kings, but we do go to our providing king. So where do you do, disciples, people who love Jesus or want to love Jesus, how do you respond to the stress and needs of life? We go to your providing king. So let's read, this is probably, this chapter is full of some pretty famous stories of Jesus. Now Jesus, going on a camping trip, when he heard this about John the Baptist, withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went to shore, he said to a great crowd, he's, when he went to shore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away, go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said to them, bring them, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. You see, actually, this is why we're, we're, I'm using the term king because we have a very clear contrast between Herod and Jesus going on in these passages, right? You have two feasts, right? You have Herod's birthday feast, which results in the death of John the Baptist. 
And you have Jesus' feast that's resulting from two fish and five loaves for all 5,000 plus, what, maybe 12,000 people? Right? You have two families, right? When Jesus sits down, it says that he sits down and provides, right? He's sitting down at the head of the table. Jesus is sitting down at the king, as the king of his people, his, the dad in the family, and providing. And that's in contrast to, to Herod's messed up family, where he sits at the head of his birthday party with all this crazy stuff going on, right? And you have two different hearts, right? You have Herod, verse 5, verse five of chapter 14, right? Who feared the people. And you have Jesus there in uh, verse 14, when he saw the people, he had compassion on them. You, had, you have two different kings going on here. But there's not just a con- contrast of two different kings. We actually, I don't know, last year we preached through the book of Exodus. So maybe there's some Exodus themes that are kind of beginning to percolate for you. But let me point them out for us. Because what's going on here is that Jesus is not merely a better king than Herod. He's a better Moses, right? So you're talking about the Moses who is like, you know, the Tom Brady of the Old Testament. You have... Jesus saying, I'm the better one. I'm better than Moses. I'm the better deliverer. And so here, so you see that, right? Verse uh, 13, Jesus went out to a desolate place. He went seeking for a desolate place, right? And then when the disciples said, we're in a desolate place, that's a, that's a direct same exact word that's used in Exodus 16, where what happens? Moses leads them through the waters, and they go out to a desolate wilderness place. Right, And then what happens in that situation? They're in a wilderness place. How are we going to eat? Moses prays and God provides food. Jesus provides food for them. Right, And then it's just a little small detail, but these are the things that matter sometimes just to help lock this in for us. Verse 21 where it says, those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. In Exodus 12 when they're let, being let out, uh, 12.37, it says that there were 600,000 men besides women and children, right? It's, it's giving, like, you can count the men, and then there's, like, like kind of like our church. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's, like, 15 to 30 million kids. I don't know, somewhere around there. <laughs> like, they're, they're there. That's it. But it's a direct connection to say, this is Jesus leading his people as the Savior, not really to be a good king, but to be the Savior who leads his people out. But the problems don't go away, do they? <laughs> right? He leads them out, and they're in the middle of this field, and he's trying to figure out, okay, how do we provide for all these people? Right? How does Jesus respond? Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves, looked up to heaven, and said a blessing. Right? You see what's different here between Moses and Jesus is that Moses had to pray for God to provide, and then God told him what to do. But Jesus, out of his own power, provides. Right? Jesus is saying, I'm not just Moses where I'm going to help people out, but I'm actually God. <laughs> I can provide on my own power. Jesus doesn't say, Father, um, what should we do here? Jesus says, no, I'm, I know what to do. I'm God the Son, and I'm providing for my people. But what's... Uh, we skipped over this verse. If you have your Bible, it's look like verse 13. I think this kind of leads us into, because what we don't want to leave this passage with is, oh, Jesus is a really good provider. There's something more here, I think, that we need to see. 
Verse 13, now when Jesus heard this about John the Baptist being beheaded, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. We can kind of pass over that like it's like a, a narrative point of like, okay, story moving on. But think about it. It's telling us a little bit about the inner life of Jesus. When he heard about this, when he heard about what happened to John, when he heard about it and was processing it, he said, okay, I need time. I need time to process this. I need time to be alone. And here, one thing that we need to remember when we're reading this is that when these books were written, paper and ink were expensive. So we have to ask, why is this included? Why is this specifically here? It's not just a narrative point. It's all here because they're trying to get us to the cross, right? This is all basically a big chapter one, and the big chapter in the whole book is the cross at the end of the book, where it takes up like eight chapters, right? Why is this included here? Imagine what just happened. John the Baptist, who loved God and pointed to Jesus, was just killed at a wedding, killed at a feast for a false wife. And Jesus is processing this and thinking, there's another death coming where I'm going to die for my true wife. Right? John the Baptist died because of a false wife at a false feast. And Jesus is thinking, I'm number two. I'm coming up because I'm going to die for my wife for our true wedding. Because Jesus has in view here the cross that he is walking towards. Right? This isn't just a narrative point. Jesus is walking towards a cross where he is going to not take life, but give his life. Right? He's going to give his life for us for his wife, for the people that he wants to provide for. So that, right, when it comes down to him sitting there and saying, here's, here's the feast, he's not just saying, I'm providing because it's good magic trick. He's providing, it's actually the same words that are used in the Lord's Supper. Here, when, it, when he sits down, right, when, it, when, it, when we get the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians, we read this every week, 1 Corinthians 11, he took bread, right, verse 19, if you're looking, he took bread, and gave thanks, and he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you, right? He takes the bread, because here he is, as John the Baptist has just been killed, he knows, I'm going to give my body to be broken for my people, to feed them in ways they could have never imagined, provide for them in ways, provide for you in ways that you could have never imagined, so Jesus is not just doing some sort of food magic trick where he's got extra bags of food behind his back, right? Jesus is pulling out this situation to say, there's this Old Testament story, and I'm going to die so that I could provide for my people. And that doesn't mean that the needs and stresses don't go away, right? But he is the one who is providing himself to satisfy us amidst the needs and stress, right? There's no, they're like, uh, they're asking him, how do we go get all this food? With all the stresses in our lives, how are we going to solve these problems? I mean, whatever you've had going on this week, whatever you've got coming up this coming week, whatever the ongoing stresses are that don't seem to go away, whatever the provision are that just doesn't seem to be coming in, Jesus does not promise to give us an infinite bank account and totally healthy bodies, but he does say, I'm providing for you out of myself for you. This is a providing king who's different than Herod, for sure, isn't it? He is a king who gave life rather than take it. So we're going to keep moving on with this king of ours. And we're going to see his power, right? 
this is pretty obvious, but we're going to read through the story of Jesus walking in the water, and we're going to be going, being asked to go to our powerful king. All right, so let's pick up in verse 22. So here he is, he's fed all these people, provided for them. Immediately, verse 22, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. You guys go ahead, I'll take care of this. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he, went, he was there alone, but the boat was by this time a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. There's a guy, sorry, whenever this was a guy at the gym, and he says, man, if a guy can walk on water, I'll believe in him. <laughs> And when the disciples saw him on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? And when they got in the boat, they, the wind ceased. And those, who got, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You see, here again, the, the, the storms are this need. Right, these are experienced fishermen. Just a reminder, right? These are experienced fishermen, and they are freaking out over the height and depth of the waves. They are they're going nuts about the sea. And the interesting thing about the story is, Jesus would have known that. He would have known I'm sending them into this, but he still sends them into the problems. Still sends them into the storm. Still sends them into a situation where they have great serious need. Right. So the needs again. Jesus is not in the business of getting rid of, uh, getting, making us efficient in our lives, right? That's not what Jesus is doing. He is sending us often into problems that expose and stir our hearts to see who he is. Let's take a look at verse 25 here. And in the fourth watch of the night, they caught, they, the night, he came to them, sorry. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And actually, that we could focus on that walking on the sea, but I wanted that, that, that phrase right before it, he came to them. That is picking up on all of these Old Testament pictures of God who comes to the aid of his people, who comes to them in their need, who comes to them when they are in most desperate situation. And the clearest picture, actually, if you have, a, if you have your Bible, just turn over to Psalm 107, and we're going to read through this, and this is going to sound eerily familiar to this story that we've been reading. So I'm going to pick up in verse 4. It's Psalm 107. Yep, Psalm 107. Some wandered in desert wastes. Whoa. Like they followed Jesus out to a desolate place. Some wandered in desert's place, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty. Kind of like Jesus providing. Their soul fainted within them. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. Lord, there's 5,000 people. <laughs> How are we going to get food and, for them? And he delivered them out of their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. 
Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, for he satisfies. Do you remember how, how it said in our ch- chapter? All were satisfied. He satisfies the longing soul. For the hungry soul, he fills with good things. And we should pick up over in verse 23. Some went out, some went down to the sea in ships. Oh, this is feeling very familiar now. Doing business in the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised a stormy wind, which lifted up the the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. Does that not sound familiar to the disciples? They are experienced fishermen, and they are freaking out about the height and the depths and the wind and the storm. They reeled and staggered like drunk men in their witch, um, and were at their wit's end. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, like seeing Jesus walking on the water. Lord, if it's you. And he delivered them out of their distress. He made the storm to be still, and the waves of the seas were hushed. Then they were glad with, uh, that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Does that not sound familiar to our passage? Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. You see, Jesus, when he, it says there in verse 25, he came to them. He is living out Psalm 107 in their lives and for us. He sees us in our distress, and he comes in his power, walking on the water, to provide for us in our need. He comes and provides out of his own heart and desire for them, right, so that you see that in verse 27? But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, right, when they're, they're crying out in fear, take heart, it is I. That it is I phrase actually kind of undersells the impact of what's going on in that verse. And, saw, and back, back to the book of Exodus, remember when Moses runs into the burning bush? What is it? It says, I am that I am. That, that's a Greek phrase, ego me." if you ever wonder where ego waffles get their name from. <laughs> Ego is the word for me. <laughs> Let go of my ego. It's mine, right? In the, in the Exodus story, it is, I am that I am. And here, the actual rendering, the, the, the way this should be read is, take heart, I am, right? So Jesus is again pointing back to Exodus and saying, I am God, I am self-sufficient. I, I am my own power. I don't borrow it. I don't have to charge up. I'm not like your phone. I am constantly... Power, I am power. I am that I am. Do not be afraid. All right, so we could hear this very kind of lofty, and I appreciate that in this story, Peter's inserted because now we have a way, an entryway into the story, right? Because here we could hear this and say, trust in Jesus' power because he is who he is. And you say, that's great. What does that mean? <laughs> so Peter, right, being Peter, right, the, the infinite example of all, um, you know, dumb things to do and say. He is the one who says, if it's you, I'll, I'll walk out. I'll come out. And so Jesus says, all right, come on. Right? And Peter walks out, and he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. And then what does it say there in verse 30? But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out to the Lord, save me. Right? He... He had his eyes fixed on Jesus. He saw who he was. I mean, if I saw somebody walking on the water and they said, come to me, okay, let's give it a shot. But 
just like us, when Jesus calls us to follow him, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. We're going to, we're going to be a part of this church plan. Or I'm going to follow you. And I'm, going to, I'm going to be faithful with my work this week in a new way. I'm going to, the problems and stress and trials come crashing. And his eyes divert. And the waves become bigger than Jesus in his heart. Right? Jesus gets reduced into a small Jesus and the waves and the problems get reduced into big P problems and big N needs. Right? Jesus, in this story, he gives us an entryway into what it's like to be a disciple hanging on the power of, his, of who he is. Right? The, what, what Peter's looking at here is all the what-ifs of life. Right? Have you ever wondered, like, the what-ifs of life are often the waves and trials that we experience. Right? The, the, the storm, looking at the waves, what if the, what if the storms hit me and destroy me and sink me? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, that panic sense, that's the what-ifs of life for us, right? The what-ifs are, what if my health fails? What if my family crumbles? What if my job falls out? What if all of our appliances break? What if my friends don't like me? What if all these things go on? Those are the what-ifs that divert our attention. The, the what-ifs, the fears that keep you up at night. Jesus responds to Peter in a way that I think gives us hope. He doesn't chide. He says, oh, you have little faith. But did you see that, what it does? Jesus immediately reached out his hand. Jesus immediately was there. Jesus was immediately there for you in the midst of all the problems of life. He is right there grabbing onto you, holding you amidst all the storms of life. That's why I love that song. He will hold me fast. Do you want a, we want a Bible verse for that? Right? Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Right? He didn't reach out his hand and say, okay, Peter, now respond. It's kind of like when my kids, like when they kind of like start falling off a step and you just immediately grab them. You know, you don't ask them, like, oh, do you need some help here? <laughs> yeah. There's a flight of stairs. Oh, do you need some help? No, no, just you immediately grab him, right? It's like Jesus, right? He sees the weak faith, immediately grabs him. So how do we tap into that? How do we tap into experiencing Jesus' power for us, right? That, that's maybe a question. We're like, okay, this is all great. This is helpful. Yeah, I'm in the story. But how do we do that, right? I, this is where I, and Matthew is just... I, I am so impressed by how brilliant he is and pastoral he is and how he sets us up because we have the answer immediately in the story for us, right? What was verse 23? If you'd look up, what's Jesus doing? He's got all these stressors going on. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. If there was anybody that has ever lived who did not need to pray because he was God himself, it was Jesus. And yet, amidst all the, the trials and stress that he is processing in his life, it, you actually you notice that in verse 13, he got diverted from this, right? <laughs> right? Now, when Jesus heard this about John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Right? He's, I'm going on a personal retreat, y'all. Like, I'm getting out of town. And everybody follows him, and the problems still come. And his response is, okay, but plans change, compassion for the people. But then he persists in it, right? This is, this is you know, he goes to be alone with his father because he knows he needs the father's presence more than he needs to do the work, right? 
This is like last week when I was confessing to you guys, we were talking about the parable of the sower of the seeds, and just in my own devotion life has been pretty pretty lackluster lately in terms of like the last three, three, two or three months, which is the family dynamics of I'll wake up at 6.30, and 6.31, a certain unnamed child of ours will wake up and need immediate attention, right? Just kind of like, here's Jesus going out to go have his devotions and <laughs> to follow right along with them. But this last week, I have been persistent. I've been, I've been following and praying for Jesus' help in this. I've been persistent with my devotions. And can I tell you, my soul has been happier in Jesus this week. Being persisting and just looking at his word. I've been, so I was recommending looking at, a, at our missional community. We are talking about reading through Ephesians. So I've just been reading little bits of Ephesians through. And I just found, okay, Jesus, this is who you are. And my soul is happier. And I'm, I'm experiencing his power to, in my life. I'm not saying that I'm like jumping over mountains and destroying all temptations or anything like that. But I'm experiencing his power. And I think that's the pattern Jesus lays out for us. How do you go to him? Well, how did Jesus rejuvenate his own soul? He goes to the Father in prayer. So guys, I just I want to again lay out for us. We're not holding out devotion times or Bible times in the morning because... We have a, a list of 10 things for it to be a good Christian, and then you check the box and you're done. Because there is a real, meaningful, life-transforming power available to you that's different than the soul-sucking, crushing power of your phones and your life, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, your phones are just going to distract your soul into death, just like Herod's, you know? Jesus is going to draw you into the presence of the Father and fill you with his love. Right, that, that, and do you see that? Actually, it, the, the verse 27 and 31, and actually verse 22, they all have, the, they all start out with the word immediately. So the, 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 the holdout, the promise in this is, okay, go to the Father, and Jesus is immediately there to meet us. He immediately comes to us, comes to our aid to fill our souls. Jesus, how do I engage? How do I persist? How do I keep going on with trying to be faithful, <laughs> he is immediately there, right? This isn't like a God that you have to kind of work him up and coax him out and like, okay, Jesus, would you come out of the cage now? No, he's immediately there to provide for you. We could keep going on. But he's there for people like us who are just like the disciples, doubters and scared. And he provides his power for us. We're going to finish out this chapter here, verse 34. We continue to go to Jesus so that we can go to our compassionate king. Right? When he crossed over to the other side, they came to a land of uh, Gennesaret. And when the men that placed in, of that place recognized him, they sent all around to that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it, were made well. What happened to the needs? They just kept going, right? It's like trying to do dinner at our house, right? We, we make the food, we make the plates, we set them down for the kids, and we go back to get our plates, and I finally get food on my plate, and I set it down, and the first round's already done. <laughs> and like, I literally sit down, can I have some more? <laughs> Like, no, I'm going to finish my plate before you eat your food, get more food for you. 
But Jesus is in this story, it's the same situation, right? Provides, 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 sits down, oh, more providing, right? More, all the people of the region, right? So this is, I mean, what, four or 5,000 people that he's been on one side of the, on, of the sea with four or 5,000 plus women and children, right? And then the other side, it happens again. So the, the pattern here for us is, look, the needs of our church are never going to, that's not the problem. How we respond to them, right? And what does the people do? They go to Jesus. They implore him, right? And Jesus has said of earlier, right, that he looked on the crowds, verse 14, and had compassion on them, right? Jesus is not inconvenienced by your need. He's not annoyed with you. He's not frustrated by your need. He knows. He actually came for people like you and me who have needs. Like that, that's the, all the needs that we have at the table, he brought, he, he brings us to himself so that we can enjoy his compassion. Just a couple points on this, just, we're going to kind of wrap up here, but just notice a few things, right? Um, Jesus is a solution and you and I are not, right? Often what happens is we have needs and we want to keep helping and we want to keep serving. We kind of, we trick ourselves into feeling like now we fill in the place of Jesus. At a certain point, we have to eventually say, you know what, I'm going to continue to be faithful as I can, but Jesus is the one who's going to solve the problem here. Solve their needs. Solve my need. Solve these needs, not me. And so we have to continue to keep the focus pointed on Jesus and not us. Right? It, just, you know, we, we just get tricked into sometimes, we get tripped up into feeling like we have to be a substitute Jesus for people. And I'm saying that for you to me, because I'm probably going to be a very needy person at times, <laughs> and for us to each other, we're just going to have to say, you know what, I'm trusting Jesus. I'm going to do all I can to support you and care for you and help you. But Jesus is the one, is the one who's going to provide. This gentle and compassionate king who provides for his own, and he provides for his own at the cost of his own life, that we might experience his life-transforming power. Right? This is the king that he's inviting us to come to. Not ourselves. Not our own little idols. Isn't this the king that we want? <laughs> this good king is going to provide for us, give us his power, have compassion on us. So how do we keep going on with all the problems? How do we do it? We go to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you we thank you that you have given us this word about Jesus, that you, you don't just tell us that we've got problems, that you give us functional ways to come to you. And so, Father, we come to you for your provision, that we would experience your care for us. There's problems and needs that we've got going on as a church, and we ask that you would help us in them. We come to you for your power. Some of us have been tired with the road ahead of us and the road behind us and just being in today. And so we ask that you would help us to experience your power. Father, would you help us to meet you in your word this week? And Father, at the end of the day, would you experience your compassion for us, Jesus? That you are not annoyed with us, but you're eager to continue to help us. So we pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. 
King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.